morning. The first reading is from Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verses 14 to 22. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of God and Lord of Lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the course of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. And the second reading from James, chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, oh, he's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourselves, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, sorry, if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy, will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment.
Well, good morning, everyone. I want you to remember any recent news that you read or heard that involved Christians or the church and that made you feel a little embarrassed or ashamed. Maybe it was churches receiving JobKeeper who didn't really need it. Anti-vax Christians going to rallies and holding up signs saying, the blood of Christ is my vaccine. Or maybe some pastor being very homophobic. I'm sure it's not difficult for you to come up with an instance. And while negative stories about the church and our fellow Christians are fairly common in our city, we are fortunate that we don't suffer persecution. James, on the other hand, writes to a church or several churches in real minority status. They suffered real persecution, unfair treatment, and times of trial. And while we sometimes may feel bad or embarrassed about our reputation, for James's audience, this was the norm. It's just what came along with being a Christian. And I wonder, what is your response whenever you do feel embarrassed or ashamed when you hear a story? Maybe you try to distance yourself. I'm not that kind of Christian. Or maybe you do the opposite and you try to emphasize your connection to a Christian that you do like. Maybe you say, Tim Winton is a Christian. Or Kanye now releases gospel albums. Or maybe there is another person that you like and you, you sort of play up your association with them. Well, for one of the churches that James writes to, this second response was the way to go. In a society where you're in a real minority position, you get credibility by associating with those who are powerful, by drawing attention to those whom society values, and by distancing yourself from the uneducated and the lowly. And in our passage today, James tells us that if you do this, it is a grave sin. And he spells out why. He begins by reminding the churches that faith in Jesus is what determines your values. Specifically, it's not the glory or the honor of the world, but the glory of Jesus that does that. Verse 1 literally reads, my brothers and sisters, not with favoritisms of any sort must you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ of the glory. The emphasis is on the word glory, and that gets a bit lost in our translation, but it is the last word in the sentence. Jesus is the glory of God, the full revelation of God himself, and the personal embodiment of his power and goodness. He determines your values. And so we might say, just like the contact tracing of New South Wales last year was the gold standard, so Jesus is the glory standard of all our values and 
our beliefs. And having this glory standard means you cannot show any favoritisms. The word favoritism or partiality or discrimination, depending whichever translation, it literally means to receive the face. To receive the face of someone is to make a judgment purely based on what they look like. And it makes sense that the word uses the face because it's the most public aspect of you. It's the first thing that we look at and we draw conclusions about. And when people do the walk of shame to or away from the magistrate's court, they don't cover up their hands, their legs. It's always the face that they try to hide. And this is why I have titled the sermon Facial Discrimination. James says we cannot commit any of it. And yet, this is exactly what the church did. There's some disagreement between scholars whether James is talking about the Sunday service where this discrimination happens, or if it's a sort of conflict resolution meeting between two members. But whichever one it is, it doesn't affect the main point. Two strangers come to a meeting, one wealthy, one poor in filthy clothing. And both are treated purely on the basis of their appearance. And we might judge the church looking back for ever having done this. And yet, many of us will try to distance ourselves from certain kinds of Christians and then at the same time try to emphasize our connection to others. And we must remember that they were in a real minority position where you try to hold on to anything you can in order to get credibility. But whatever our reasonings, James condemns this as nothing other than what it is, incompatible, incompatible with the glory standard of Jesus. Now, if we think about churches showing favoritism today, the obvious question is around the vaccine mandates. That's what we're all thinking about, and we're all aware of it. And we know that churches in Victoria have to discriminate against the unvaccinated. And in order to accommodate um, the unvaccinated, some churches will have two separate services, one for those with vaccination and one for those without. Is this facial discrimination? Is this the same as having a service for rich people and a separate one for poor people in filthy clothes? Well, for now, the answer is no. What James condemns is treating people purely on the basis of what they look like. Our context today is simply too complicated for what he is dealing with. James doesn't take into account the spread of a potentially fatal virus, protection for the vulnerable, and also the role that local churches play in maintaining public health. But if a time comes where hospitals are no longer overwhelmed, the vulnerable no longer at risk, 
And COVID just kind of becomes like the flu, where we never ask people to prove they've been vaccinated for the flu. Well, then dismissing unvaccinated people will sound an awful lot like dismissing someone who is poor and in filthy clothes. Well, so far, James condemns the favoritism. And then in verses 5 to 7, he really hones in on why it is such an evil. And the reason is that it is so far from what God himself is actually like. From the beginning of God's relationship with Israel, he revealed himself as a just and righteous God. We heard in our first reading that though the highest heavens belong to him, he shows no partiality and he accepts no bribes. He did not choose an impressive people or a wealthy people, but a poor family of slaves. And the same is true for the church. The church may be in decline in the wealthy West, but it is exploding in the poor countries of the majority world. And for James, this shows God's clear concern and special concern for the poor and lowly. After all, they are the ones who are chosen to inherit the kingdom of God. They are the ones who are promised future blessings that will far outweigh any goods that we enjoy on this earth. And this is what James says, is how we have to see and look at each other. This is the glory standard to which we are called. But yet, the church does the opposite. Not only have they acted against God and unlike God in their facial discrimination against the poor, in so doing, they actually side with their own oppressors. As James asks them, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name to, of him to whom you belong? Well, in this section here, James does not leave much room for nuance. We are not used to hearing someone speak in such absolute terms about the rich and the poor. It's almost like we're reading Das Kapital by Karl Marx. Well, we might try and find comfort in saying that and, and pointing out that James does not say God only chooses the poor to be rich in faith. And we may like to point to the beatitude that we heard this morning and we read this morning where we say someone can be poor in spirit and yet still materially rich. And yet, James is still quite blunt in saying that God loves to show grace to those who are poor and lowly. And this is, again, something important for us to remember now in a world of a vaccine economy. All of us today here are fully vaccinated, and that is a sign of our wealth. Not because we had to pay for the vaccine, it's free after all, but because we are fortunate enough to have grown up in a culture 
or dare I say in a class that values the medical sciences and that trusts public institutions. It's a fact that people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds are slower to take up the vaccine and generally distrust governments. In the States, it's among the Hispanic and black communities where the vaccine rates are particularly slow. And in our own state, if we think about where the recent outbreaks were in the far north and the west of our city, and then we hear the government telling us it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated, you just put two and two together and you realize what is going on. God reminds us today that when we think of anti-vaxxers, we need to remember that he loves them. If we feel better for our own safety, if we go into a pub or a cafe because the unvaccinated are excluded, it might be that it comes at the expense of someone being even more disenfranchised from society. And it might also be because they were not fortunate enough to grow up in a household where you had a good and trusting relationship with a GP who can give you medical advice. The God whom we sing to this morning and we worship loves the unvaccinated poor, and we are to do the same. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to disregard our own health and you know, expose ourselves to undue risk, but we can still love them. Maybe you had to let a cleaner or a carer go because they were refusing to get vaccinated, but you can still show love for them. You can still send them a text, give them a call, ask how they're going, because James tells us that is what God is like. Well, in the final section, verses 8 to 11, James argues that those who facially discriminate are actually sinners guilty of breaking the law. He says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. He points out that in the kingdom of God, to which we all belong, there is a royal law. It's the law put in place by our Lord, our King, and that's why it's a royal law. And it is to govern our life, all our lives together. And we can have two relations to this law. We can keep it, and if we do, we're doing well. And we can not keep it. And if we don't, then we are law breakers. And here you might raise your eyebrows and you might say, well, sure, I have made some mistakes. I have judged people on the basis of their appearance, but I'm generally a good person. I have never cheated. I've never murdered anyone. I'm certainly not a criminal or a law breaker. But James argues that there is a unity to the law. If you fail in one part, you fail in the whole. 
And that's because all of the different commandments, all of the different laws that are out there that God puts in place, they all ultimately come from him. It doesn't matter how big or how small a law is, behind it, it's God speaking and commanding. And so if you break a big law, if you break a small law, in the end, you offend, you offend against the same and one God. And this is pretty bad news. Because under God's law, we all come undone in one way or another. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, as Paul so powerfully declares in Romans. But good thing is that James is a preacher of the good news. He doesn't leave it at that. And so what is the good news for lawbreakers? What is the good news for those who are all too aware of their own sins and failures and wrongdoings? Well, James tells us, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He reminds us, lawbreakers will reap what they sow. If you do not forgive others their sins, God will not forgive you your sins. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Well, James flips this around and says, Cursed are the unmerciful, for they will not receive mercy. Under the heavy condemnation of the law, we realize our need for mercy. And only once we are bruised and battered by our own failures, do we see the beauty and appeal of the grace of Christ. And once we see this, the law is no longer death, and condemnation, rather it is freedom and liberty. But if you then go on to rigorously apply the law to others and smash them with it, well, James says, you will also fall under it because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. The best person in Melbourne this morning to realize this is the Liberal MP, Tim Smith. He's in the best position to learn the full force of the condemnation of the law. And not just in the sense of being fined and having his driver's license taken away and having to resign from Parliament, but in realizing that I am a sinner. I cannot hide. I am a lawbreaker. And it is in this place of hitting rock bottom, of realizing that you have no excuses for yourself, that the door opens up to grace and mercy. And surely from this day onward, Tim Smith will think twice before condemning others for their failures and their mistakes. His judgments will be tempered with mercy. And so in conclusion, this is how James tells us lawbreakers how to speak and how to act towards each other. Although we all deserve judgment, God gives us what we actually need, which is mercy. 
The cross reveals us all to be beggars looking for scraps of grace. And knowing this is who we fundamentally are, how could we ever go on showing favoritism? How could we ever go on dismissing people on the basis of their appearance? Before the cross, the ground is level. Whether you are rich or poor, married or single, vaccinated or unvaccinated, before God, what we need altogether is mercy. And that is exactly what he gives us in Christ. He shows no partiality. He accepts no bribes. He does not facially discriminate. And so this is the good news, the gospel for us today. That God is not like us. He doesn't distance himself from us like we might from other Christians who embarrass us. Nor does God point to those Christians that have it all together and seem to perform really well. No, the final word for us in Christ is mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen.